from the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant good morning to you. This is Patrick Timpone. It's a beautiful day here. Looks like we'll get a little sunshine coming across the earth in Dripping Springs, Texas, where I am with an itchy nose. And how are you doing? It's the uh, 13th of uh, December, 2022. My name is Patrick Timpone. Broadcast here every morning, except Thursday and the weekends. Um, We may do something after the show, just you and I. We'll see how long we stay with uh, our first guest uh, and uh, our only guest today. And we'll see how it goes. I play it by ear. Tomorrow, uh, uh, interesting fellow, he's really into eggs. I mean, he says eggs are the best food ever. He's also a nationalist. And what? He calls himself the raw egg nationalist. So he looks like a great, great conversation to be had. We'll talk with him tomorrow at 10 o'clock and then our usual uh, session, oh, around noon or so with you and I as we get into our little first uh, little vacation day of Thursday. So here we are. If you'd like to be on the show, 888-663-6386. The email is patrick at oneradionetwork.com, oneradionetwork.com. Many years ago, you probably saw a video called The Inconvenient Truth. I don't, I I should Google it. I think it was, I don't know what it was. And it actually won an Academy Award um, I think it was for fantasy and science fiction. Just kidding. Um, but they, <laughs> they won some kind of award. We have a guest on this morning. He's in the green room. You'll meet him in a moment. Let me just tell you quickly about Tony Heller, some of his, uh, his, uh, his resume. Uh, BS in ge- geology stands for Bachelor of Science, not the other BS. Arizona State University, Masters of Electrical Engineering Rice University, Boston University Geology, Northern Arizona University Computer Science, Colorado State University Computer Science, University of New Mexico Geochemistry. He's a lifelong environmentalist. He testified uh, on a congressional hearing to support of Wilderness 1972. He he fought for the Clean Air and Water Acts long ago, and uh, he's been involved in this whole thing of... uh, the environment for a long time up in the Colorado area. He uh, he's taught uh, science, athletic director, soccer. Co- he plays soccer too. Well, in Arizona, math teacher, been around geologist, geothermal research, oil shale research, thermodynamic research. Wow, uh, been around for a while, and uh, we'll have a good conversation. I know with Mr. Tony Heller. Mr. Heller, thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Patrick. It's good to be here. You've been at this a long time. Were you an environmentalist when you were a kid? Yeah, I was, like I said, I I testified at a congressional hearing in um, 1972 in support of a wilderness area. I think I was um, 15 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was very active with the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, um, so healthy environment. So it has always been a very important part yeah. of my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, my graphics associate, uh, she always makes up a slide. Uh, I send her to the website of the guest, and she makes it up for me every morning. And you may have seen, I'll show it again, what she put. 
She says, Tony Heller, lifelong environmentalist, there is no climate change, is what she wrote there. Is, is, that, is that right? Was she correct there? Well, um, it's, it's nice artwork. Um, the climate's always changing. There's been tremendous changes of climate um, for hundreds of millions of years. Uh, we've had ice ages. Um, there were times when there was tropical forests growing in Greenland and Antarctica. So yeah, the climate changes quite a bit. But the, the the influence of humans on climate change, on climate over the last few you know few decades, is is much smaller than what's claimed by the press. I'm shocked. I'm just shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. just shocked. Um, do you have any idea, after all these years, Mr. Heller, of who who was behind this thing to bring out like the inconvenient truth video and all that? Have you, are you, do you dig into it that way, or do you just stick to the science? Well, I, I have suspicions. I mean, I, I don't. I think there's only one group of people who know how to run such a large scale propaganda campaign, and it's basically the same people who run the other propaganda campaigns which are being currently exposed by Elon Musk about the 2020 election and censorship at Twitter so I don't want to name any names but I think you know who I'm talking about <laughs> sure, sure. I've been studying monetary history for about 25 years and we call them the boys this, this is our our name for them the boys you know whoever they are they you know they yeah yeah, really, yeah. They, they sure have their reach don't they the tentacles of yeah <clears throat> so there's many people that believe this this whole wef un uh e what is they what do they call it now environmental um sg this esg thing you know, environmental, social, government is all for more about control than it is anything else. Do you believe that's the truth? Well, yeah, certainly. The, the United Nations has been a key player in this whole scare about the climate for decades. They, they were largely initiated it around the year 1989. Um, and they have obvious political goals, you know, they, by, by by scaring people about the climate, um, there was there was an article in the Guardian and um, the Canberra Times in 1989, and it was discussing how the solution to global warming was going to be one world government. Oh. Basically, they said we had, we we had to have governments without boundaries so that we could enforce these environmental guidelines about you know co2 emissions across invisible frontiers they said that as long as we had individual countries in control of themselves we would never be able to solve the global warming problem so they've been explicitly saying for at least 33 years the british commonwealth was on board with this as well that we were going to have to get rid of the sovereignty of individual countries in order to stop this horrible invisible global warming demon hmm. So you feel like this is this is was the main the main reason behind it this whole one world government whatever this thing is. Oh yeah, yeah. it doesn't have anything to do with climate or science or bad weather. <laughs> it, it is just a huge scam which was developed in order to implement other goals. Yeah. So so obviously well planned out. They'd have to have all the media prior 
which they do, right? So, but they didn't have the media prior, oh, no. but over time, <clears throat> over time, they've hijacked. Yeah, you know, if you look back in the press, thirty, you know, twenty years ago, they would the press would show different opinions. They would show people who were professing the climate alarmism. Then you have scientists who are saying the opposite, but you never see that anymore. Yeah, really, over the past decade, they've completely censored any alternate points of view other than the misinformation which the press has been propagating day in and day out hour after hour about this imaginary climate emergency hmm. so with all of your background geologists and all this stuff um c- can you explain to us that uh, here in the in the bleachers in the cheap seats of 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 the science where the science that they use comes from well back in um the late 19th century when one of greta thunberg's ancestors fonte arrhenius came up with this um global warming theory that uh, with the amount of increase in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is what's controlled the past history of ice ages uh-huh. he said that he said that when carbon dioxide levels went down, we had ice ages. And when carbon dioxide levels came, went up, we came out of ice ages. We, um, and and there, there's some truth to that statement, but the relationship is the opposite of what he was trying to claim. So he, he started professing this idea in the late 19th century. And um, another Nobel laureate, Newt Angstrom, showed that he was wrong in the year 1901. He published a paper showing that Arrhenius's calculations were incorrect. And, and um, Angstrom demonstrated experimentally that there was, you could not seriously affect the climate of the Earth by changing the amount of carbon dioxide. And this this was repeated by Russell and Schneider in 1971 at NASA. He showed that even if you make huge changes in the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it wouldn't affect the climate very much. Huh. But but yet, Arrhenius's um, you know junk science has persisted and just snowballed since the late 19th century, even though it's been repeatedly shown to be incorrect. So even NASA, a uh, suspect, suspect organization to be sure, in 71, one of their top dudes said that the CO2 does not affect the climate. And he has a paper? Yeah, in, in, in 1971, the two top climate scientists at NASA, Russell and Schneider, huh. said that if, even if there was a huge increase in the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it would not affect Earth's temperature very much. And they were actually promoting the idea that we were headed into a new ice age um, rather than we were threatened by global warming. Yeah, yeah, we've had other, go ahead. In in 1976, Leonard Nimoy, he had had this show um, In Search Of, he did the show In Search Of A New Ice Age, and he featured Stephen Schneider from NASA and the National Center for Atmospheric Research talking about this new ice age, discussing the possibility of putting coal dust on the Arctic ice cap in order to melt it, in order to stop global cooling. <laughs> That's great. They always want to fix things, right? They, they always got yeah. something to fix things. And then a few years later, Schneider realized that the money wasn't in global cooling anymore, it was in global warming, so he flipped from being pushing global cooling to pushing global warming. I saw an article one day that looked at the chart that uh, Gore put out, I think it was 2006, 
in The Inconvenient Truth um, that it was just the opposite. I think you alluded to it a moment ago, where this it, the earth warmed and then the CO2 increased. It was opposite of what they said. Is that right? Well, the, it's been known by geologists. One of the first things I learned when I was studying geology, it's been known, this has been known for at least a century, that the solubility of carbon dioxide in seawater is lower at higher temperatures. So what happens is when, when the oceans warm, they, they release carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, and when oceans cool, they absorb carbon dioxide. Okay. So what we see is this effect, when the oceans warm, there's more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and the opposite. And, and Gore misinterpreted that as meaning that the carbon dioxide was driving the warming. He was putting the cart before the horse, which actually was actually happening in the ice core records, was that the warming was pushing carbon dioxide levels up and cooling was driving them down. So his whole thing was based on a misunderstanding of the graphs, which he picked up back in college. I think he spent a little bit of time in college and, and, and misinterpreted what he was taught there. Isn't it fascinating that you could do an entire worldwide movement based on a, a a lie or false? I mean, isn't that that just makes my head explode when you think about that? You know? Yeah, it was just a well, that, and that's been fairly typical. I mean, if you look through science history, that's been that's the case do. all along. Yeah. The scientific consensus has been typically been wrong about almost everything, <laughs> and then it takes like one person who's willing to fight against it right. to. To a um, good example of this was, was with the theory of continental drift. Um, this was proposed by Alfred Wegener back around in around the year 1910. He just looked at the map and saw all the continents fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. And he showed how um, rock layers in the east coast of South America and the west coast of Africa lined up. He had the same rock layers, he had the same fossil types. So he had very he had an overwhelming, indisputable case that at one time South America and Africa were connected together. Hmm. But the scientific community refused to accept this for six decades. They went on, they fought this idea for six decades. And actually one of my professors at Arizona State University, Bob Dietz, was one of the key plug players who finally broke the log jam you know, in the 1970s and showed them that, yes, indeed, there was these seafloors spreading in the middle of the Atlantic and that the oceans had spread apart from them. And only then, about six decades later, did the um, scientific community accept the obvious fact, which any child could see looking at a globe of the Earth. They could see how the continents fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. And, and you could see places like in the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, mm -hmm. geologists could go and see places where the land moved 20 feet in a, in a, in a few seconds. So you, you could see that the land moves, but still the scientific consensus refused to believe this. And this has been the story throughout science history. There's been inertia um, that has prevented scientific progress, and it's taken someone who's gone against the consensus in order to advance science forward. I think um, Niels Bohr said, science advances one funeral at a time. <laughs> one you know, he, it's as, as the old scientists with the wrong ideas die off, that opens up opportunities for science to advance. And then these people run the universities, right? They, they just... They, yeah, they're in the same way with modern medicine as we as we study here a lot. Same same thing. 
Yeah, well, you know, Eisenhower in his farewell speech in 1961 warned about what was happening with with research. Right. He said that it was being taken over by the government. He said curiosity was being replaced by a government contract, and he warned about the danger of a scientific technological elite um, taking over control of public policy. And that's exactly what's happened. The government has controlled science funding now. So people who want to get funding from the government, which are academics, they depend on it. They say they're just essentially contractors who will say whatever the government wants them to say. Government pays them to say, make, create this certain story about global warming and they produce it. If they didn't get it, they wouldn't get paid. These people have no other useful skills. They'd be out in the <laughs> street homeless if they didn't go along with this. So of course they go along. Well, how does a fellow like you uh, finance your research and your life while you're doing what you believe to be is a convenient truth. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I've lost a lot of jobs overdoing. Yeah, yeah I, I I worked for a large semiconductor company for five years. Went to a global warming conference in um, in um, uh, Portugal um, in 2011. Came back. And um, they walked me out the door the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I they, they, didn't want to be, they didn't want to be associated with a climate denier. Mm -hmm. uh, but but I but I do uh, contracts. I, I do software development contracts, um, and also I get um, a reasonable amount of money from um, donations or, or gifts people send me uh, on, on my blog and. Also, now I'm getting a little bit of social security from the government, which is nice. Yeah, and yeah. realclimatescience.com is your website. Yeah. Yep. And then you do blogs and tell folks what they'll find there when they go visit. Yeah, I, I talk, and I do a lot of videos. Uh, I just released a YouTube video this morning. I've, I've done thousands of videos. I've probably done, I've done well over 50,000 blog posts. So, wow. So I've, I've been studying this for a long time and I put out a lot of information. Uh -huh. So so what are some of the real key things that you write about or if you're if your nephew or ten or something asked you, Uncle Uncle Tony, how come you believe what you believe? What would you what would you tell him? You know, what would you what would you tell him? Well, that's a good question. You know, I worked as a school teacher for a number of years in the nineteen eighties. Um, mm -hmm. I taught I taught elementary school. Um, I taught science um, in Arizona. I, I taught school. And so I, I developed skills, I think, of being able to teach children, you know, explain science to children um, very clearly. And, and that's basically the same approach I take with my videos as I explain things in very simple terms, which anyone, a non-technical person can understand. Um, so I, I just did a couple of videos um, showing comparing the historical record versus government temperature graphs. You know, sort of the whole global warming scam can't exist without these government temperature graphs. So what I did was I showed compare night the year 1921, which is shown in government temperature graphs as being a very cold year, versus the historical record which showed very clearly that 1921 was an extremely hot year. There was a tremendous heat wave and drought, global heat wave and drought, 
which had millions of people around the world starving. We got newspaper articles from the New York Times, the New York Herald, the San Francisco Examiner, papers in Europe, um, Save the Children, talking about this incredible heat wave and drought in 1921. And I've got articles from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric, interviewing people from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration in 1989, which confirmed the fact that 1921 was a very warm year. Hmm. If you look at the NASA temperature graph of the United States from 1999, they showed 1921 as being the second warmest year on record after 1934. All of this has been erased. They've, they've altered all the temperature graphs. Wow. And they, now they show 1921 as being a very cold year. The, yeah. the whole thing is a complete scam. And, and <laughs> you know, people just blindly accept these government temperature graphs wow. as being legitimate. Even a lot of skeptical climate academics just blindly accept these temperature graphs and say, yes, there's been 1.5 degrees Celsius warming over the last century. No, it's, it's nonsense. The, the historical record doesn't support this. The Arctic was melting very rapidly in 1921. Um, Glacier National Park was melting so quickly that experts predicted all the ice would be gone by 1950. This is the same Glacier National Park where the ice has been growing over the last 30 years. But in 1921, it was melting so fast, they were sure it was going to disappear in a few years. So the, the, these, gra these graphs aren't legitimate, and they form the basis of this whole climate scam. Oh. So when did, when did we lose NASA? When did they go to the dark side? Do you have any idea? <laughs> um, well, Na NASA James, Han James Hansen was the guy who started the whole thing for Congress in 1988, and he's been a big proponent of this whole climate emergency thing. Right. And he's driven NASA in, into in, into madness. Uh, a few years ago, the uh, uh, about something like fifty top people from the Apollo program, including astronauts, engineers, and scientists, wrote a letter to the NASA administrator, just blasting him over this junk science. They said he said you're destroying the reputation of NASA with this junk climate science. So the people with the right stuff including Harrison Schmidt, who's the only scientist to have walked on the moon, and he later became a senator from New Mexico, wrote this letter saying, you've got to stop this junk climate science, which is, was being driven by NASA's James Hansen. You know, they were ruining the agency's reputation. So it's really been two people at NASA, James Hansen and um, Gavin Schmidt, have been driving the junk science over there. And uh, Noah... Are they all in on the in the deal too? No, no. National. They are now. Yeah. Yeah. Originally, they were fighting against it back in 1989. <laughs> Noah was fighting against the junk science, but they they went once. I think they realized the money was that's what the money was. They switched over to the dark side. So. Right. So dumb. You know, most naive question of the day, I guess, would be: They simply they pay these people off. I mean, NASA's got a 26 billion dollar budget. They got a lot of money to play with. You know that. Twenty-six billion a year. That's a lot. Yeah, well, it's much larger than that. Yeah. Actually, though, what's driving this? But the, the good example. Of this was my good friend, Doctor Bill Gray at Colorado State University. Uh -huh. He was he was considered the world's leading tropical meteorologist, and he um, he's the guy who started modern hurricane forecasting. You probably heard about the Colorado State University hurricane forecast. He's the guy who started that. Um, Bill passed away in twenty sixteen. 
but for decades he was the the, the world's he was the go-to guy for tropical meteorology and um, in 1993 when Al Gore became vice president he called up Bill and invited him to a global warming conference he was having in Washington and and Bill said he'd be happy to go to it but Gore needed to know that he was not a big fan of Gore's theories so guess what happened Bill Gray's funding got cut off he got money from no every year for three or four decades and um and Gore cut his blackballed him got his funding cut cut off he never got another penny out of the government and so he had to self-fund his research for the last you know 30 years of his life and everyone in academia knows this they know that if they go along with the global warming scam they'll get funded you know if they go up against it they're going to lose their funding they're going to get attacked they're going to get canceled and get their career destroyed Bill was Bill was a person of exceptional character and he also had the financial means to to fund his own research but the vast you know vast majority of academics don't have that so they do what they have to do to survive there's a word for that but it's a family show I won't use it so you take money for doing something you know you shouldn't be doing (laughs) yeah yeah well academics right they have to bring funding into the university or they're gone and the universities don't care whether the the, the research is legitimate they just care that the money's coming the money's coming tony heller is with us real client science.com if you have a question or a comment uh please uh join us mr let's stay right there let's we're going to sell a couple uh promote a couple of products. I don't know if we'll sell them, but we always promote them. That's how we make our living around here. Speaking of funding, what we do, do I have enough light? Let me see if I can. Let me have a little more light here. It's very, very cloudy out. That's how we do it. We, we tell you very upfront how we support ourselves is we promote products that we like a lot and we're very picky on, uh, on the people that we do promote because we just, you know, just I just can't, promote something that we don't use. I use everything that we promote, everything. And uh, also we know the people behind it. One of our trademarks is know the source and we know the source of all these folks. So you can be confident, thank you very much, you can be confident that whatever you uh, find on our website that you think might be fun and try for your health, your wealth and your well-being, whether it be gold and silver coins, we work with a wonderful company and have for 20 years who do uh, numismatic coins, uh, um, U.S. coin capital, or whatever they are, the hydrogen, uh, uh, Shen Blossom, uh, Daniel Vitalis, just good people doing the best they can, doing the very best we can. This is a pretty cool thing that uh, that we've come across in the last oh, seven, seven um, weeks, and let's see, excuse me, I can get it, three months or so, there's a uh, uh, um, kind of a very simple home gym type device called X3. And it's uh, it uses um, latex bands, very strong and not petroleum-based, very strong. It's the only thing in the world that's not petroleum-based. And anyway, very strong and not like, you know, these cheap little bands you find on Amazon and these silver bar very sturdy in plates, and you actually use um, variable resistance rather than weights. And this fellow wrote a book called Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. 
and he has a great uh, videos on it and argues why when you lift weights and you do, say you put a weight like this over your shoulders, and, like, and then you hold it, lock it out, bring it down, and then this is what really uh, damages the joints uh, and, and everything. With uh, this system, say you have a band that's uh, tied to a heavy plate that you're stepping on, and this band stretches up, and you have a bar, and you go like this, and then you have all this tension on your shoulders and your muscles, and then you bring it down like this, and you still have tension, right? So you never release the tension. It's called variable resistance, and you do it slow and controlled, two or three seconds up, two or three seconds down. And this is the way this works. And by doing it this way, you don't rip the muscles like uh, all the meatheads at the at the gym. Sorry, I didn't mean that. At the gyms do, and then they get, and that's why the muscle grows because you actually tear it. This doesn't do that. This just is using variable resistance up and down, and um, it's very powerful. I have more muscles now uh, than I have any time in my short lifetime. I've had this body um, 76 years now, and um, you know, about halfway there. If you believe in 144, it's a good good age. But um, check this out. I think you'll find it fascinating. And gals, you can do this too, because they have different size bands. So you know, if you can't do the you know the real band, which I can, I'm just doing. I'm just a wimpy guy. Well, I don't call myself wimpy, but you know, 125 pounds. So this is very cool. This is an interesting uh, thing. It's called X3. It's on the front page of one radio network front page of one radio network x3 and i believe it is still 399 i paid 599 for mine uh and uh, they'll finance it as well 399x3oneradionetwork.com for my first meal of the day i like to make a blended drink and i'm always basing my blended drinks around colostrum colostrum adds so much creamy flavor and texture that if you don't have it smoothies start to seem a little bit watery to me now i'm going to be combining it with a bunch of other ingredients but it really is the all-star colostrum has so many health benefits probably it's best known for its effects on the immune system there's actually an article in pubmed showing colostrum to be three times more effective against flu and flu symptoms than flu vaccines are even in high-risk patients. It's incredible for fighting flu and other viral type infections. It's also really good for building lean muscle mass. In fact, it contains all 89 of the known mammalian growth factors. It's also very good for the gut lining. So people who suffer from things like Crohn's, IBS, uh, leaky gut syndrome, a lot of those folks are using colostrum in the regenerative process to heal and restore their gut lining. And one of the things I love about it is that it's a complete food. So colostrum contains everything a mammal needs to thrive. It contains all of the essential amino acids. It contains all of the essential lipids or fats. It contains all of the essential glyconutrients. Those are essential sugars that we need for our immune function. So it's got all of that and all those growth factors, which means this is really a complete food for human beings or for any other mammals. Tastes great. It's got the fuel I need to get through the day, and it's got all those added health benefits thanks to the colostrum. And this is on any Sir Thrival link, one radio network. All kinds of great things. Shaga, Rishi. Um, they have a new one 
Uh, it's, a, it's a protein just from um, forest found uh, a sustainable grown um, black walnuts. Yeah, they have people gathering black walnuts in the forest, no chemicals, no nothing, and then they bring them to a place and they make powders out of them, and you can use it as a protein. And I got some, but I really like it. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I think 19 grams of protein, if you're into protein like I am. Um, and um, it's, it's an interesting product. It's called Black Walnut. And that's uh, uh, one of the other new products on any survival link, oneradionetwork.com. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. We're talking with uh, Tony Heller, and he's been at this whole environmental thing for a very long time, a geology guy, electrical engineering, computer. Is there, are there people out there, Tony Heller, that, that are not um, crazy, crazy, crazy environmental people that really like you, that really are concerned about what's going on in Mother Nature? Are there others? Well, unfortunately, the the environmental movement has been hijacked by this whole global warming scam. Thing. Uh, you know, they they've um, adopted this idea that <clears throat> that carbon dioxide is a pollutant that's going to lead to this huge environmental disaster, and it's it's pretty much destroyed the environmental movement. Plus, there's been a, a huge amount of money has gone into this, like the Audubon Society. <clears throat> You know, wind turbines kill lots and lots yeah. of raptors. The Audubon Society has been bought off with large amounts of money, and so they stay silent about it. And so that this huge, you know, Greenpeace has received huge amounts of money. The Sierra Club's received huge amounts of money. They're funded to promote this scam. So yeah, the, the environmental movement is dead. Wow, that's a shame too, because these people one time they were doing good stuff, right? Yeah, they, they used to do really good work, and, yeah. and now everything's global warming, fossil fuels, and, you know, they're destroying, you know, we, we depend, you know, here in Wyoming, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, it's incredibly cold. We've got a blizzard going on. Temperatures are supposed to stay 10, 20, 30 degrees below normal the rest of the year. Without fossil fuels, a lot of people would be dying. Um, and. Yeah, they, they still keep pushing this idiocy that we need to shut down fossil fuels, which if they if they were successful, there'd be mass genocide. And probably some of the first to go would be the people who are demanding yes, that fossil fuels be shut down. They, they don't understand that their comfort and their survival, and their food supply, the lights, their communications all depend on fossil fuels. And if they got if it, if they were succeeded in sh- if they succeeded in shutting it down, their lives would become a living hell in a matter of a few hours. Mm. They they don't seem to understand that they're you know they're demanding their own destruction. In Texas, a couple years ago, they the boys had talked Texas into doing a lot of turbines and windmill you know stuff like that and and uh, solar, and we had this freeze apocalypse here, a very unusual cold. And I didn't have, I'm out here in the country and I didn't have electricity for two weeks. Now that stuff all froze, yeah. all froze up, just froze up. 
Yeah, in 1989, there was really bad freeze in Austin, and they didn't have any problems. You know, it, was, it was colder in 1989 than it was in last year's freeze, but they didn't have, you know, the state hadn't gone foolishly off and depended on windmills, and they maintained their fossil fuel infrastructure. And so in 1989, they were able to weather the cold snap without any problems. But the state went crazy with wind turbines, and they stopped taking care of the their pipelines they didn't insulate the pipelines properly and then when the cold came last year on valentine's day texas had a lot of problems yeah. boy europe is really going through it aren't they with this whole gas and ukraine and, and the eu and the pipeline yeah. wow they they're going to have a hard time this winter aren't they yeah britain just fired up a couple of coal, several coal-fired power plants Did again they? you know last here at COP26, Boris Johnson was bragging about how they're going to get rid of all their fossil fuels by 2035 and that Britain was going to be 100%, Britain's homes were going to be 100% wind powered by the year 2030. Well, the wind's not blowing in Britain right now. <laughs> they've had no wind the last few days. They don't get any sun in the winter ever. So they've had no wind and solar for the past few days. They've been completely dependent on. You know, they're buying a lot of very expensive electricity from France. They're having to fire up their coal-fired power plants. And they're getting a very harsh lesson in what happens if your leaders are idiots. Hmm. You know, but I don't know if you know the story about Boris Johnson. No, he used to be a fairly sensible person. But he married um, Carrie Simons, who was a climate activist. Oh. Her father is the founder of the independent newspaper, which has been pushing the global warming scam for decades. Oh. So she was kind of a Trojan horse, which got in <laughs> and destroyed the um, British energy infrastructure through Boris Johnson. And now the whole country is paying a very high price because of his idiocy and the subversion by his wife of the UK energy industry. It's always about a girl, Mr. Heller. It's always about a girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you what do you suppose? Many people conjecture that oh King Charlie, who I suspect has a lot of power, much more than we think, he's a real globalist climate guy, isn't he? He's really in. Yeah, he, he in nineteen ninety three he said we only had a few years just left to save the planet from global warming. Yeah. Here's an email from Stanley. I'm enjoying the show. Thanks for having him on. What is your guest opinion on this whole idea that we could, as some people conjecture, could go into a mini uh, cold uh, kind of ice age someday? Think it's possible? We could here. Yeah. Well, at some, at some point, we definitely will. Right. I mean, it's we've had these long-term pattern of ice ages and we're in an interglacial now so certainly at some point in the future we will return back into an ice age i'm i'm not going to make any imminent predictions about it <laughs> right. for any time in our lifetimes right. <laughs> so, uh, are the yeah. sun do the sunspot things is, is that relevant to weather do you think sunspots you can certainly see that solar activity um has an effect on climate. Um, I don't know if it, it's directly sunspots, but changes in the sun's magnetic field. You know, there was times like back in the early 19th century during the solar minimum, there was very cold periods. 
Um, you can certainly see correlations between um, solar storms and extreme weather. In fact, I just made a video about that this morning. How in oh. 1921 there was a huge solar storm, which was associated with very very hot weather of 1921. There was terrible flooding in the United States in 1921, which occurred right after that solar storm on May 15th. Um, in, in 1859 was the largest solar storm on record. Um, and that same summer, um, there was an incredible heat wave in California. Santa Barbara, California got up to 133 degrees. You know, normally Santa Barbara is very cool, but they had this incredible blast, downslope winds, which they called Chiracos, came down off the mountains and temperatures in Santa Barbara warmed up to 133 degrees for several hours on the afternoon of June 17, 1859. It killed cattle. Um, it burned all the fruit on the trees. All the vegetables got ruined just from a few hours of this hot wind. And that was associated with this massive solar storm of 1859. And there was a lot of other very bad weather in 1859. A huge storm off the coast of Wales ruined 600 ships. And there was lots of other incredible weather that year as well so certainly solar storms and the sun's magnetic field have a, have a significant impact on our atmosphere and our climate it would have to mr heller right i mean what else is there we have the sun and the moon circling around i mean it would have to right? well there, there's the, there's that and you know there, there seems to be a strong influence of the earth's orbit as well you can see patterns um where from year to year, you see very similar patterns of the weather on a particular day of the year, um, which correspond to the position of the Earth in the solar system. So if the, if the, if the Earth is passing through like a, a cloud of dust or something in the solar system, or perhaps the planets are aligned um, to a particular position, <clears throat> you know, from one year to the next, I mean, it'll affect the gravitational the gravitational field on the Earth, and I, I've shown this um, that on a particular day of the year, we may have had for the last twenty or thirty years a strong cooling trend, and then three days later, there's a strong warming trend. <laughs> and the only thing that's changed is the position of the Earth in this around relative to the Sun in the solar system on that day of the year. The Earth moves very quickly um, around the Sun, so we get. Um, so from one year to the next, but it returns to the same position it was at a year earlier. It always is always in the same position. Uh, I can recall. Yeah. I live about an hour outside of Austin, west of Austin, and when I moved yeah. out here, to, uh, Mr. Heller, twenty five years ago, it was like clockwork. There would be a system that would come into California, and you would see it on the yeah. weather. And then two or three days later, four days later, we would get rain here. And this happened for hmm, ten years, fifteen years. And all of a sudden, yeah. that stopped. That just stopped. It just, California is dry, and we've been very dry ever since. How do we explain something like this? Would it, people argue that it's a manipulation of HARP and other other governments tipping their toe well, in the water? The weather in Texas is very much controlled by the um, ANSO, the um, La Nina and El Nino. When when there's El Ninos, we tend, you know, Texas tends to get a lot of wet weather. And when there's La Ninos, like there's been for the last three years, Texas tends to be dry. And then this is true across, you know, Texas, 
parts of New Mexico, Arizona, and California. The last three years have been largely dry in, in much of Texas because of the La Nina patterns. Um, I, I had an interesting experience. I was living in Cedar Park uh, oh, really? not too far you 30 years ago. Uh-huh. And during the summer of 1993, and that was a very cool summer. Was it 90? I think it was it might have been 1992. That no, was 93. It was a very cool summer. And I thought that that was my first year there. And I thought, well, this is, must be normal that it's cool in Texas during, <laughs> during the summer. But it turned out there was a huge volcanic eruption in the Philippines the year earlier, which put a lot of dust in the atmosphere. And that kept Texas very cool during the summer of 1993. The following summer, 1994, was incredibly hot and in, in you know around Austin. And I learned got had to deal with reality that summer. But yeah, there's there's a lot of things that affect Texas weather. Yeah. Um, so what about this idea of government interference with a harp and these kind of things? Have you looked into that? Is that does it go on chemtrails, I, all that stuff? I, I'm not inclined to pay a lot of attention to that stuff. I, really? I tend to look natural. I, I don't believe that humans have a huge impact on the climate, either from carbon dioxide or any other things we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you, you're you making the argument that even with all the fancy stuff, that it's very hard to, it's more, it's more difficult than people think to affect the climate. Well, you know, the sun is in this incredibly powerful force. but yeah. <laughs> it's huge amounts, it's huge amounts of energy to the earth. Yeah. It's pretty hard for puny humans to compete against what the sun's doing. Yeah, well, that's, that's a pretty good argument. So, what CO2, so forests and plants and trees give off carbon dioxide, right? Just give uh-huh. it all right? That's what they do. Well, they... I mean, there's a lot of things that that plants do. I mean, mostly plants absorb carbon dioxide. Oh, they absorb it. They absorb it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the main main thing they do. Like green green plants, that's how they grow. They absorb carbon dioxide from the air. They absorb water mostly from the roots, and and that combined with chlorophyll and the energy from the sun is what produces plant growth. So much of the matter, if you look at a tree. Much of the plant mass is car- consists of carbon dioxide, which combine with water to form carbohydrates. Um, so they absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and they release oxygen into the atmosphere. Whereas animals, like humans, do the opposite. Animals breathe in oxygen and ex- exhale carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. But but decaying plant matter. Um, and soils releases huge amounts of carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere. That's, um, that's probably one, one of the largest sources of carbon dioxide is decaying plant matter. And also the oceans release huge amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere as well. Hmm. So um, what's with the, just Hawaii and these earthquakes? The earth is just going to continue to do this kind of stuff from time to time. Really? It's just volcanoes volcanoes yeah volcanoes yeah well the the radioactive decay in the earth causes their internal inside of the earth to get hot and this causes volcanoes they've been going on forever um all all of the gases it's almost all of the gases which exist on the surface of the earth came from volcanoes at one time you know over the last four billion years 
volcanoes have been spewing these gases into the atmosphere and then they've accumulated. Um, the, the Earth is, has a un unique atmosphere in that we have a lot of oxygen, and that's because we have plants. We have plants which absorb carbon dioxide and produce it. oxygen. I had it backwards, yeah. Okay, I had it backwards. Yeah. yeah. And so, so other other um, other planets don't have oxygen. We do because we have plant life. Mm -hmm. And and cow cow farts they they don't warm the earth. Um, but that's just. I mean, can you, know, you imagine what's going on in like places like the Netherlands? And they're actually taking the the, the farmers' cows. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. This whole story about methane and and cow emissions is just utterly absurd it, it's the worst propaganda of all if you go back to the 16th century which was the coldest century of the last thousand years there were 100 million bison roaming the great plains 100 million wow. <laughs> yeah there the people who you know or explorers went through said they would ride their horses for a week through one just to get past one herd of bison really? you know, there was tremendous herds of bison on the great plains and they were emitting methane just like <laughs> cattle do and but that was the coldest 16th century is the coldest century of the last millennium so this claim that cattle cause global warming is just utterly absurd it's an attack on the meat industry it's an attack on the food yeah, industry. it's all about meat and food isn't it really this yeah is, yeah this yeah. is about yeah I think they want us to eat bugs or something, you know, whatever. Yeah, there's there, there's no science behind that. The whole thing's a complete scam. Hundred million. I knew there was a yeah. lot of buffalo. Wow. Yeah, it was it was it was unbelievable. The the population of, of bison in the United States was much larger than the population of humans. And I don't know if you know what happened to no. the bison. Well, I, I we hear that the, the the white guys come in and you know yeah that's they that's put them over happened. a cliff right they, well well what happened was that after the civil war the union army then wanted to go take over the west right. which was was indian territory and they figured out the best way to do that was to wipe out the bison which the indians depended on for their survival so that the Union Army went in there, people like General Custer, who was a hero of the Union Army, went in and, you know, these people went in and they killed hundreds of you know, tens of millions of bison in order to subjugate the Native Americans. And, you know, that's what happened. They left that out when I learned history in school. I don't I don't know. I, I, that part, I, yeah. must have, I must have been off that day. You know, when they, yeah, they always, they always tell you what great heroes the Union Army was, and they tell you that General Custer was this incredibly bad guy. They don't tell you that General Custer was one of the main heroes of the Union Army. So they, 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 so, they leave out that part of the history lesson. So for truther like you and this idea, there is there is ways to find out the truth of these things if you look carefully yeah. enough. Is that right? Yeah, the, the, you know, the one of the greatest technology advances of the last 15 or 20 years has been digitally searchable newspaper archives. And we have hundreds of years of newspaper archives where you can go in, just do a digital search for a term and find out, you can find out exactly how history has been rewritten. And that's what I depend on largely. You know, I see claims that people make about something from the past and go and compare it 
with what newspaper writers were saying at the time. I do this all the time with the New York Times, show the difference between what the New York Times is saying now and what the New York Times was saying 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Right. And I use this against the New York Times writers all the time. I show, say, if you read your own newspaper, you would know that what you're saying now isn't true. <laughs> Uh, the New York Times ran some great articles in the 1990s about this incredible history of California droughts. California used to get droughts that lasted hundreds of years. And the New York Times knew about this. Now when they talk about California droughts, it's caused by humans, it's man-made, it's global warming. I show them their, their old articles from 1992, 1993, 1994. Where they were when they were actually doing writing about science, Jody, it's not true. What you're saying simply isn't true. Mm. Hi there. This is from uh, Leroy. We live out in the Phoenix area. I wonder what your guest thinks about the problem with uh, Lake Mead. It's never been lower. Mm. Well, they got some water issues out there. Well, we have water issues everywhere, right? Well, you know, if you look at what's going on and with the Colorado River. It's not that stream flow in the Colorado River has declined. What's going on is that huge amounts of water are being diverted across the Continental Divide to the Front Range of Colorado. Lots and lots of water gets pumped from the Colorado River through the Continental Divide to the Front Range to feed Denver and Fort Collins and Colorado Springs and all the cities along the Front Range. Huge amounts of water diverted out of the Colorado River. It's, the Central Arizona project to serve you know the farms and and Phoenix and in Arizona, Lake Powell, something like almost ten percent of the water in the Colorado River just evaporates from the surface of Lake Powell. You know when they built Lake Powell in the nineteen sixties, which I fought against tooth and nail, um, they created this huge reservoir, this huge surface area of water in the desert, which is now evaporating. So yeah, there's yeah, there's there's not much they, they've lost a lot of water out of Lake Powell and Lake Mead just because of evaporation. You know, Phoenix is when I went to Arizona State in the 1970s, the population of Phoenix was like one third of what it is now. Right. They're using massive amounts of water and, and it comes from the Colorado River. So of course there's not much water in the Colorado River anymore because we're using all of it. So where are these, on climate change is absurd. So so the whole so the system that they've designed is it's just unsustainable and yeah you just exactly. got to pray for more rain i mean that's the only way it's going to work <laughs> well there's the the main the vast majority of water used in the desert southwest is by agriculture huh. yeah of course phoenix and los angeles are a problem but we've got we've got a lot of agriculture which depends on water coming from the rivers and you know it's just it's it is unsustainable and it's it's been known for a long time that if we ever went back to the very dry periods which california used to have that they're going to have a huge problem and, and that may be what we're seeing now is that california california is returning to their normal climate the 20th century was the wettest century in in you know california history over for at least a thousand years mm. and california may be returning to a more normal climate which it's had for most of the last thousand years and the lifestyle and the and the agriculture is largely unsustainable so what are we going to do with that people got to eat yeah exactly yeah. so we 
and and it seems like globalists are trying to reduce the population <laughs> it's, See, it I, appears I that way doesn't it it just wrong. appears that way with yeah. all the, the injections and and whatever else they're doing um uh here's a good one for you from frank i've read uh, often well sometimes he says often and in periods sometimes that there's a great deal of really pristine water under the earth all around the earth is that true well yeah there certainly was at one time I and mean, we've been extracting it um, the, the water table underneath phoenix used to be hundreds of feet higher than it is now mm. um, when people people moved into phoenix you know the advent of air conditioning made it possible for normal human beings to move <laughs> to phoenix um, and they start pumping groundwater out and then there's a huge reduction when i was at arizona state university our uh, one of my geology professors took us to a housing development on the outskirts of phoenix and what they were doing was there were these huge cracks opening up around the edges of this of the salt river basin which were due to groundwater pumping which was causing the ground to sink and, and housing developers would just go and fill in these cracks with dirt build a house on top of it and then sell it the houses were doomed but yeah no groundwater extraction is is a huge problem you know we, we've lost you know huge amounts of water from places like there yoga lala aquifer we've we've pumped them down quite a bit you know we, we've been we've been destroying the the water supply of the west for a long time i was actually engaged to the woman who was in charge of arizona water supply of the quality of the water california water supply in 1980s she told me these horrible stories about how semiconductors like motorola had come into the to the phoenix area um, scottsdale built these semiconductor plants and they took these 50 gallon drums of horrible chemicals like tricarylethylene and just dumped it out in the desert then the drums corroded and in the water and the, these horrible chemicals seeped down in the water supply and now phoenix spends huge amounts of money trying to keep these these plumes of, of carcinogenic chemicals from getting into the city water supply most people in phoenix don't know about this but it's a massive effort which the city's constantly fighting is to battle against this pollution from careless industries um, you know back in the 70s and 80s yeah uh here's an email from kevin is animal agricultural the main cause of resource misappropriation and degradation sorry could you repeat that is animal change? agriculture the main cause of resource misappropriation and deregulation de degradation he's he's saying his animals well, are problems so. for the food you know i think that you know, we've been doing a lot of horrible things with you know industrial farming i mean one of the worst things is they've been pumping cattle full of estrogens sure you know for decades um, and and so kids drink grow up drinking milk which is laden with estrogens which has probably led to a lot of the problems we have now you know we the loss of fertility the loss of masculinity is probably largely due to how how you know this injection of estrogens into the food supply into the uh, milk supply and also gets in the water supply as a result so that's a huge problem 
Um, and also, also soy, you know, let the, me interject, soy is very high estrogenic and it's everywhere, soy. Right. Go ahead. And now we've got all these soy boys as a result. Yeah. Right? So and, um, I, I guess what he's arguing, or just wanted to know, people are arguing that, you know, these animals take a lot of uh, water and they're a problem, and this is the whole anti-meat idea. But I don't see any evidence to that. If you do it properly, animals are actually good for for the land. I mean, it's been proven. Look at the buffaloes. There, there wasn't a desert around the country with a hundred million buffalo. They didn't hurt the land. Well, well here in, in Wyoming, you know, we have free-range cattle, you know, sure. which are, are very important, like you said. But if you go across the border into Colorado, into northeastern Colorado, they have a lot of it's industrial farming um, where the, the, the cattle are kept in feedlots, you know, in pans. Um, they're fed corn, yes, and, and the corn the feed corn in northern Colorado is all comes from irrigated water. And so a lot of the water being diverted out of the Colorado River, the front range goes to grow corn for these for these feed, you know, live cattle. So yeah, absolutely the the huge amount of water wastage in in the western United States is caused by industrial farming. Industrial, but like this CAFO, what they call CAFO, caged animal farming operations. Yeah. Right. I'm a big fan of the free range cattle we have yes, here in Wyoming, but certainly the, the industrial farming industry in northern Colorado where they invented it is is a huge environmental problem. Sure. And then you have the GMO corn and God knows what else they give them, as you said, estrogen. Yeah. But we don't support right. that kind of animal agriculture here. Right. And most of our, our listeners don't. We go out to the farmer's markets and get free range and grass fed, grass finished. Yeah, we only purchased, you know, free range uh, beef, free range bison, free range um, chicken. Mm-hmm. You know, we won't get anything else, and make sure that everything we get won't get you know, anything that's got gen- genetically modified corn in it. You don't want eat any animals that ate that or eat it yourself. And I think to Kevin and others, it appears to me that the people that are the the real meat Nazis, they're using the CAFOs, and as you described, this organization to say what a terrible thing it is, hurt killing the animal, and it is, the way they treat the animals, but that's not the problem if it's done properly. Yeah. No. They're actually using uh, heavy-hoofed animals in, in places in Africa and proving that when you put these guys on the, on the, on the dry dirt, it actually you know, breaks up the soil and it helps, helps things grow again. Just the animals help things grow again. Well, certainly the the Native Americans understood the that. importance of, of the bison. You know, they depended on them for their survival, and um, they harvested them. Um, the Native Americans also used fire to manage the the um, the Great Plains. They right. they would intentionally start fires because they knew that fire was essential part of the environment. So when, when white men came along, we did everything wrong. You know, we killed we killed the the bison. Um, we stopped allowing fires to burn, and this has had tremendous impact on the environment. Where I live here, uh, the old timers say, you know, a hundred years ago there was just this the whole place was filled with cattle, and it was uh-huh. a lot lusher and greener and more more oak trees. And uh, when you take the cattle off, then we end up with a lot of um, cedar trees and smaller oak trees and it's turning it's we're almost like a desert out here now yeah yeah just 
amazing the uh, uh, the impact that the agriculture and the trees have on the weather and the transpiration and the water and rain. It's yeah. all just tied in, isn't it? It's all just a loop. Wow. When I lived in Cedar Park 30 years ago, it really was a cedar park. It was completely surrounded by cedar that's, trees. That's what I have. I take, yeah. yeah, I would take the dogs out running, you know, just outside, go a block out of our neighborhood and go out running out there. I could run for miles. And there was nothing between Cedar Park and Lake Travis, really. Um, and now Cedar Park's just part of Austin. Right? It's yeah. all been cut down. Um, it's, it was a great place to live back then. Now it's kind of a mess there. Pave paradise and put up a parking lot, somebody once said. Yeah. Whoever she, yeah, yeah, she, she said. What is your guest? Uh, this is from uh, Via. What does your guest think about the idea of getting water out of the ocean with reverse osmosis and using that for cities on the on the shore? Yeah, that's that's a great idea. You know, in uh, 1977, California was having a terrible drought. And Governor Jerry Brown said he was going to do that. He was going to build all these desalinization plants. Um, and then, of course, when it turned wet again the following year, he completely forgot about that. You know, in the Middle East, they, they do desalinization, um, and it's very effective. You, know, you could have a nuclear power plant um, uh-huh. doing the desalinization, or even wind turbines. Could You could use wind turbines to do it. To do it. But... Um, but they you know they they never actually do it instead you know california could solve their water problems by doing this but instead they do this idiocy like building trains which they say is going to stop global warming and jerry jerry brown started with desalinization in 1977 and 30 years later he was doing this idiocy of building a train which he said was going to stop droughts how is a train going to stop droughts? I mean, this is that's utter mad. He, that's because he broke up with Linda Ronstadt. See, that was a problem. It's always <laughs> about a girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's why when you when the hippies leave your life, you know you're in problems. You know you're a real environmentalist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! So, but the, the desal thing, Mister Hell, I've never really understood where they put all the stuff that they suck out to to make the clean water. Do they just put that back in the ocean? Doesn't that screw things up too? Where do they put it all? Well, I mean, you're just, all you're getting out of the ocean, right? It's just salt, salt right? Right, right? Just put it back in the ocean, and then it rains, and just, it's it, it's it's not a destructive process. It's not. It's not. Hmm. So, and you know, one thing which I've you know, one idea which I kind of like is. Something along the lines of they're talking about this hydrogen-based economy. Oh yeah, baby, we breathe hydrogen yeah. here and make hydrogen water. What? Yeah, yeah. So, so what you know what they can do is use do things like nuclear power plant or wind turbines, use it to convert seawater into hydrogen and oxygen. Um, hydrogen itself may not be the perfect fuel, but they could com- make synthetic hydrocarbons out of it and then store it. And this would be a way to solve the intermittency of wind power. The problem, you can't really use wind power to generate electricity directly because it's not reliable, as Texas found out on Valentine's Day last year, and as the UK is finding out right now. But what you can do is use wind power to generate, to create um, hydrogen or synthetic hydrocarbons stored in tanks and then be able to use it later on. And then you're not so affected by intermittency. So, 
what does that look like, synthetic hydrocarbon? So you, you mix the hydrogen with with what, and then you store it, and how do you, how do you can you get, get your cars to run on that, or? Things yeah, like? you could make like, you know, synthetic gasoline, um, hmm. synthetic uh, methane. Um, in, in 1980, I was working at Los Alamos Labs on coal gasification. Which was was getting you know it was a form of synthetic hydrocarbon. Jimmy Carter was big on that. He would he started the Synfuels Corporation, um, and that was based on the, the idea of creating synthetic hydrocarbons. Hmm. And he did that in response to the Arab oil embargoes. Yeah. Um, we, the United States had terrible energy shortages in the 1970s uh, under President Ford and. So just and under Carter, so Carter wanted to fight back. He wanted to make America energy independent. So he started the Synthetic Fuels Corporation, which based on that idea. Then Reagan shut the whole thing down because Reagan thought it was cheaper to just buy gas from the Middle East. <laughs> you know, he made Reagan made deals with Iran, right, to release you know the prisoners right after Carter was wow. uh, right after the election. Right? <laughs> And there was a, probably other dirty deals going on at that time. And so so Reagan shut down the whole Synfuels program, which probably was a huge, was probably a huge mistake. And we, we would probably have a lot more of our own energy independence now had Reagan not done that. You know, Carter, I didn't like Carter, but he, he was on the right track about that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if, if you were king and uh, you were looking at all of this, you would go that uh, synthetic hydrocarbon fuel thing. That'd be one of your your platforms. That's what you would do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, Colorado has enough, you know, oil shale to to run the country for hundreds of years. You know, we don't have a great technology yet for how to extract that without you know doing a lot of environmental damage. damage. Yeah, but but it's something we should be working on. Um, the, the, the technology. I, I worked on on oil shale forty years ago, but the technologies have developed, advanced quite a bit. And you know, main thing we need just right now is an energy source. So, like a small nuclear power plant could be the energy source for extracting oil shale with minimal environmental damage. So, as an environmental, I thought the shale was just kind of nasty, and they got to pump a lot of water, and that causes a problem. But if it's done right, you're saying that shales is is okay it's good well there's different different types shale is a term that's used for a lot of different things um the oil shale in colorado is just stuck in very hard rock and extracting it is largely just a matter of using heat to drive the kerogen out of the rock and and it's believed that can be done with very little environmental damage but the, the problem the main problem with it it's just that we don't have the energy sources to create the heat right now. Oh, because that requires electricity. Right? Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. When, when I was working on it 40 years ago, the idea was that you'd actually burn the carogens in the rock to create the heat to drive the carogens out. Hmm. And that had a lot of potential environmental issues with doing that. So technologies they're talking about doing now, which is just putting heating coils in the ground and, and just slowly heating the rocks are much less environmentally destructive. I see. Um, what about good old black goo oil? Um, that's that's probably going to be around for a long time. The only is the only real downside of that is the 
emissions out of the back of the tailpipe, pretty much, or the coal-fired plants? Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of just extracting as much oil as we can. For, you know, it's certainly natural gas. We have huge amounts of natural gas available. There's no reason for anyone to be panicked or trying to force a transition to different kinds of fuel because we have enough energy to keep us going for a very long time while these technologies develop for for new energy sources. Yeah. But then we're talking about, I'm a screenwriter on my second job, we're talking about pretty much just a fantasy movie because uh, politicians, I mean, they're, they're never gonna come, well, I, I don't like to use that term, but what's the likelihood that we'll get people that will really start to think about this stuff uh, with critical thinking and say this is this would work we could do this without killing ourselves boy well I, well hopefully you know these wake up there's going to be some wake up call like in the united kingdom with right. their fuel shortages firing up coal-fired power plants maybe some politicians are going to i've heard that there's a lot of pushback from europe against joe biden's green energy policies They've said that Europe is paying the price for for Biden's you know green energy stuff, so maybe some people are starting to wake up to recognize that this is dangerous stuff. You know, shutting down your reliable supply of energy without having something to replace it with, which is what politicians have been doing. So maybe maybe so, this, and I think that a real a real key player in this is going to be Elon Musk. Um, really, he has opened up channels of communication if you look on twitter now climate scam is usually normally the number one thing trending on twitter these days so so many people are being exposed to information which has been suppressed for a very long time and and maybe people are going to learn they're going to start to learn from people like myself who are educating them about the fact that this really is a climate scam oh so you mean he's already on it where uh, they're not doing the climate scam thing like I get on Facebook. You know, every time I even mention the word climate, Facebook flags me. You know, yeah. Elon Musk is doing nothing to suppress, you know, the flow of information about climate now, which Jack Dorsey was doing. He made it basically impossible to communicate about climate. But now my my Twitter followers have doubled in the last three weeks. Really? Uh, yeah, just because. Um, all of the suppression, the shadow banning, um, which which was going on previously, is is now you know Elon Musk has lifted that. So now I'm able to reach a wide, you know, I'm gaining like, you know, I gained like 700 followers in the last 24 hours on Twitter. How do you how do you do that? Is it real? I don't. I've got a Twitter thing that I never use. I guess I should do that. Is it just putting the right hashtags up and and that's yeah. how you do it? That's how you do it. Just rock and roll huh yeah yeah twitter has completely transformed over the last three weeks into a, a very valuable resource for communicating he, wow. he was work he was a cesspool before elon Musk bought it he's doing, doing incredible work um, on many different fronts hmm. yeah i was kind of considered that he was just a another globalist out there but maybe he's got some good good genes in there good dna in there that he wants to do some yeah. stuff huh well, he's made statements on Twitter the last few days saying basically we, he says that if we don't stop this woke mind virus, there's not going to be a future. The woke what? He said, that, he, he said if we don't stop the woke mind virus, there's wow. not going to be a 
He said, nothing else matters if we don't stop it. Wow, that's pretty non-globalist. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah that's pretty, it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, here's an email from Judy. Lake Mead and the other low lakes are a case of draining the swamp, only it's the wrong swamp. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I personally would like to see Lake Powell disappear. You know, them Glen Canyon was the most beautiful canyon on the Colorado River before they drowned it in 1964. And I've wanted to see that lake gone forever. So I keep hearing people whining about Lake Powell drying up. And I, I just keep hoping it'll happen faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly have your hands full. Congratulations on getting all those followers on Twitter. I'll, what's your Twitter thing? I'll follow you. It's just Tony Climate. Just Tony Tony Climate. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, so I guess you just put so, your name in there, and I'll find you right on the Twitter. They just put your name in there. Yeah, just type in. Just type in. Well, just one word: Tony Climate in the search bar. And, I see. And that that'll, that'll lead you to me. That'll pull you up. And then, what do folks? Uh, before we let you go, tell folks about Real Climate Science and what they're going to find there. Yeah, realclimatescience.com. I've been posting there for about five or six years. I had another blog prior to that. Um, it's it's where I put out most of my content. It's sort of largely a resource for myself. It's where I can go in and search and find old newspaper articles. But I put all my videos out there and, and my newspaper articles and everything you know, it's a, it's a good reference place for people to go in and find out what's really going on with the climate, as opposed to the propaganda, which you're going to hear on CNN or MSNBC. So are you hopeful before, as the last question, are you hopeful that um, this whole World Economic Forum, UN and W, who all are in on this deal, the globalists, um, will, will not succeed in doing this, um, this, um, total control of the energy. Are you confident that they'll fail at some point? Yeah, I think, I think Elon Musk is doing an incredible job of discrediting them and hopefully shutting them down. You know, he, He's doing something which nobody's been able to do previously. Um, Donald Trump talked about it, but he didn't really accomplish much. But Elon Musk is actually getting the job done, actually creating all this incredibly bad publicity for these people. And um, I'm very hopeful that he may be the guy who saves us after all. And that that's kind of fun, just like in a movie. They get saved in the end of the movie, right? Towards the end of the movie, before, yeah. before a new movie starts, you know, something like that. Mr. Heller, yeah. thank you so much for for coming on the show. It's been an honor to, to talk to you. Good stuff. Thank you. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me, Patrick. My, my pleasure. Tony Heller, Real RealClimateScience.com, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Pretty cool guy, yeah? I enjoy talking to him. We learned a lot. Okay, we're just going to take a little quick break. We'll close out this show so we have a separate podcast and on BitChute and video for Tony uh, Heller and also on our audio. And then we're going to come back and Oh, we'll, we'll chat it up for an hour or so just for fun because I have a clean shirt on. Might as well do something. So stay right there. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. <laughs> 